Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwelling places here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Today, um, we're going to do kind of a Bible study sort of sermon to include some really um, big picture Bible storytelling starting with that Old Testament reading from Exodus, which was and remains a very, very well-known story for the chosen people of the First Testament, that being the Jews, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's a story that took place after God had called Moses to lead God's people from their slavery in Egypt back to the land that God had promised to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But on the way, they stopped at the base of a mount called Sinai. And Moses somehow, I don't know um, how these things actually worked for people like Moses, but Mount Moses somehow felt or heard or knew the summons of God to the top of the mount. And, and so he left the people under the leadership of his brother Aaron, and accompanied by his closest associate, Joshua, Moses climbed to the top of the mountain. At which point, Exodus says, the glory of the Lord settled on the top of the mountain. And what the glory of the Lord looked like to Moses and to Elijah and to the people down in the camp below too, what it looked like was a cloud, a cloud which was not just cloudy, but fiery. And six days passed, and then the cloud spoke. And what it spoke with was the voice of the Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty calling Moses into the cloud, into God's presence, into God's glorious, holy, holy almightiness. God, says the book of Exodus, gave Moses two tablets of stone upon which were written the Ten Commandments. God also Exodus goes on to say, gave Moses instructions for building a place to put the commandments. It was called the Ark of the Covenant of God, and instructions for a table for what was known as the bread of the presence of God, and instructions for a seven-branched lampstand, a menorah it would become to be called, to burn with the light of God, all to be housed in what God on the mountaintop also instructed Moses to build 
a tent-like tabernacle, which would be a movable dwelling place for the presence of God among God's people and for the worship of God by God's people. Moses, Exodus says, was on the mountaintop for 40 days as God defined for him what living in a covenant of worshipful obedience to the Lord their God who had delivered them from bondage in Egypt would look like for God's chosen people of the First Testament as soon as they would now soon live in the land of the free. As it turns out, however, down below, down off the mountain, down with Aaron, God's chosen people by now had decided something bad had happened to Moses up there on top of the mountain. I mean, it had been 40 days, and they hadn't seen hide nor hair of him. Plus, well, I mean, how safe can cloudy fires actually be? So they started feeling vulnerable, abandoned out there in the wilderness, and so they brought items, all of them, of, of family gold to Aaron, and from it, he made a golden calf, something they could see. Then the people said, here, O Israel, is the God who brought us out of Egypt. Here is what will protect us and bless us and make us great again. And the party started. At which point Moses and Joshua returned from the mountaintop with those commandments detailing how to live in a covenant relationship with the Lord their God who had chosen them as their own only to find the people worshiping a God of their own choosing. And Moses smashed the tablets of stone symbolizing a covenant relationship broken before it had ever even been entered into. The first of the commandments of course that was smashed was the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. But the laws, it turns out, that first law, all God's laws, inevitably, they do a better job of convicting sinners than saving sinners from their sins. Years later, in the book of Deuteronomy, shortly before he died, Moses told the people that the day would come when God would raise up another prophet like him, who would come from among them and would speak the word of the Lord to them. When he comes, Moses said, listen to him. And Moses then climbed another mountain, a mount called Nebo, where alone, save for God, he died. God, the book of Deuteronomy says, handled the arrangements for what turned out to be a private service. Time passed. Years passed. Generations passed. And other prophets did come, and they spoke for God to God's people, and they told the people of the Lord their God, who alone was to be worshipped. But again and again and again and again, this is just the story of the Old Testament, the prophets were not listened to but rejected as God's people again and again showed a prevailing and prideful preference for the ways and means of their own gods rather than the gods of the prophets. And again and again and again, those gods of their own were in one way or another gods of gold. And so, when, for example, when the prophets demanded, as they all did, that the poor be cared for, the prophets were rejected as what emerged in the land was a booming economy, thriving at the expense of the poor. One of the prophets whom history would remember 
as the greatest of the prophets and who did confront the exploitive and opulent godlessness of the nation and its rulers was the prophet Elijah, upon whose head a bounty was placed by the particular king and queen whom he had confronted, their names being Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel in particular was a piece of work and the work was evil and her intentions for Elijah were evil. And the great prophet Elijah, in what turned out not at all to be his greatest moment, fled. He ran away from her, ran for 40 days and 40 nights until he came to, isn't this interesting, he came to the same mount where Moses had met God. And he was discouraged and he was scared and he just knew, he knew that he was the only one left in the whole country who was worshiping the true God anymore. And he wanted to die there in a cave on that mountain because life here in what had become of his nation, this land that he loved, was depressing as hell to him. I mean, he couldn't even stand listening to the news anymore. Then he heard a strong wind rush down the mountain. After that, he felt an earthquake shake the mountain. After that, he saw a fire come down upon the mountain. And then after that, then next, it says he heard and felt absolutely nothing. But there was a sheer silence. And then, not sure how this works, but this is what it says, then Elijah heard the sheer silence speak to him. And what the silence said was, you are not alone. I am with you. And others remain faithful too. And your work is not done. Keep the faith. Others will follow in faith after you. Later, Elijah's funeral arrangements, as they were, were also handled by God. As, says Second Kings, a chariot of fire swung low from heaven and took him home. And time passed, and years passed, and generations passed, and other faithful prophets did come, but the covenant relationship God fully desired with God's people didn't. The prophets, it turned out, were again and again bold in confronting what was, but they had not so much luck changing what was. So some of the prophets began to speak prophetic words as they turned their prophetic gazes beyond what was to what would be. To tell the people that what would be, in, for example, the words of the prophet Jeremiah, would be a new covenant in which a new relationship would be established between God and God's chosen one. And in that new covenant, the desires of God, the love of God, the law of God, which they had ever rebelled against, would not be written on a stone, but rather would be written on people's hearts. And at last, people would, they would know God, and they would know too, because Jeremiah promised this, they would know too that their sins, the toxic output of hardened hearts, were forgiven. 
When that day is ushered in, the prophet Malachi said, the prophet Elijah would come again to be one of the ushers. Time passed. Years passed, generations passed, but the hope remained. What was, as chronicled by the evil toxicity that spewed from every news channel, what was would not always be, for the future was not in gold's hands. The future was in God's hands, and it was a future God would bring to God's own in God's time. Names began to be attached to the one who would bring God's promised future, Messiah, Christ, Son of Man, bright morning star, Son of God. Time passed, years passed, generations passed, and a Galilean rabbi began doing and saying the things that he did until the day came when he asked his followers, who do you say that I am? And the one who was ever the boldest and brashest of his followers, Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are right, and upon faith like that I will build my church. But first the time has come for me to tell you something. We're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be killed there. I need to die in order to live. Peter said, nuh-uh. Peter said, Jesus said, not today, Satan. Get out of my way. And then according to our gospel reading for today, six days passed, after which Jesus took Peter and James and John, his closest disciples, up a mountain in Galilee, where in a scene we can't even imagine. I mean, all of these scenes we can't even really barely imagine. Jesus, our text says, was transfigured before them. Transfigured meaning what? Well, transfigured meaning, whoa. He changed. He way changed. Right in front of their eyes, his face started glowing, except that's not a strong enough word, which is why Matthew adds the detail that the glow his face glowed with was, glow, was a glow like the glow of the sun. As in what? Well, as in two things at least. Number one, his face was so bright it was actually painful and could actually even blind you painfully if you kept staring right at it, because that's how it is with the sun. Two, because this is also how it is with the sun, as opposed to example of the moon, the light his face shone with was not light that shone upon him to be reflected by him. This light rather was light because it was like the brightness of the sun, that it came somehow from within him. This bright, bright light somehow was him. So bright his clothes even, they shone right through his clothes and they glowed. And then, suddenly, as in, now you don't, now you do, see them, they did suddenly see there were two more people standing there in the light and talking to Jesus. And I don't know how they knew this. Maybe it was from listening in on the conversation, but Peter and James and John somehow knew or figured out that the two people talking to Jesus were Moses, the giver of the law, and Elijah, the prophet of all prophets. Peter said, Lord, it's good we're here. Why don't I build three booths? Three tabernacles, if you will, in honor of you and Moses and Elijah. He didn't even get the sentence finished before a cloud, a cloud that glowed in the dark, came down upon them. And they all knew their Bible stories well enough to know what's going on when shining clouds start settling on mountaintops. God was in the house. 
So they didn't ask who it was, they knew who it was when the cloud talked to them. And what it said was, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. And Peter, ever the first one to speak, didn't speak. None of them did. They instead fell to the ground terrified until a hand touched them. It does not say whether or not the touch initially startled them. It just says that a touch touched each of them, and the touch they were touched with was the touch of Jesus, who now said to them, Don't be afraid. And they looked up in the cloud, and Moses and Elijah were gone, and they looked at his face, and the blazing, eyeball-searing light as bright as the sun was gone. But they knew what they had seen. And knowing what they had seen, they now knew Well, what do you suppose they now knew? It's clear, and as the story goes on, it will become clearer that they didn't yet know everything. For everything wouldn't come clear until the other side of another mountain, a mount called Golgotha, which he would climb without them, for they would run from him, a mount upon which he would be stapled to a cross, with the light of the sun not turned up, but turned off, and the voice that would speak then would not be the voice of God declaring his love for him, but the voice of him whom they loved, even though they'd run from him, crying now out into the dark, My God, why have you forsaken me? And what did they know and understand then of all that they had seen, be it on the Mount of Transfiguration or the Mount of Crucifixion? Actually, apparently, it seems that what they knew and understood at that time was not all that much. Except they did most of them know to stick together and to stick around. And together and around, three days would pass, after which they would see. And what they would finally see is that there ain't no dark, not even the darkest darkness there is, that being the darkness of sin and the darkness of sins, beloved, that being death, they would see on the third day that there's no dark. Finally, they would know this. There's no dark, dark enough to douse the light that he will shine with for forever, that being the light of God's mercy and God's grace and God's love. So, so time passes. Years pass. Generations pass. And here you are. And he is God's son. And he is risen from the dead. And he is the one who did what neither law nor prophets could do. He made you his own. And he is light. But until the day dawns when he, the great morning star, comes for all to see, the light he is and the light he shines with is light that can only for now shine in the dark. So, so don't run, don't hide, by all means don't fear, listen to him, listen to him, and then where it's dark,
and where the blind surely are leading the blind. Shine with him.